Welcome back, fatties. Uh, we're talking today about our beloved soup plantation. It's officially done. The all-you-can-eat buffet style we all grew up on. It started back in 1978 out of San Diego, California. Beautiful, sunny San Diego. But today, it's a, it's a rainy day. And you might know soup plantation. You might know it as sweet tomatoes. Um, I know our whole crew is sad, both as fans, uh, as patrons of it. But real talk, they employed over 4,400 employees who have subsequently lost their jobs. They have over 97 different locations. So this is, this is a big operation. And there's been like a, a lot of restaurant closures recently. But I don't know why this particular closure is hitting extra, extra hard. Like everyone on my timeline was saying, like, I'm gutted. Like this is crazy. Like, the amount of, of outpouring of sadness over soup plantation is wild. So I, I just wanted to get to the bottom of this. So of course, my co-host Jeff, I have on and Fubi's managing editor Reach back in the building. And today I want to get to the bottom of why we are so incredibly sad about soup plantation being done. So this is the episode, guys. All right, Jeff, I got to ask the, the obvious, more dumb question, if you will. Why did Soup Plantation close? Well, I think the first thing we have to remember is that the Garden Fresh company, which is the company that owns Soup Plantation uh, and Sweet Tomatoes, was not doing well in contemporary time. Uh, so in 2017, uh, they reemerged from bankruptcy. So that was pretty big news. There was, if you guys, I mean, I remember this actually myself, but three or four years ago, there was a mini this, like supplantation and now bankruptcy and like, we were like, oh, does this mean it's the end? Uh, well, I mean, they restructured um, they actually saw an uptick in both sales and patrons coming into restaurants over the last three years. Um, but I think ultimately the reason why they're closing are the, the exact reasons why you think they're closing in addition to their, you know, uh, their kind of growth troubles in general. Uh, we all know as supplantation as the 50 foot communal salad bar communal being the operative word there. Um, I don't know anyone in my 33 year history and frequent soup plantation patronage that has ever picked up or done a to-go order from soup plantation. I mean, that's obviously like personal, but I just, I can't imagine being on Uber Eats and trying to select one of 900 things for my order. And like, how do you price it? How do you deliver? I have, I have no idea. Um, and lastly, I mean, they're, they're also going to have to wait the longest, right? Soup plantation is kind of like in the same place bars and venues are because of the amount of people, the proximity. Uh, and, and then on top of that, uh, I mean, whether it's you've seen the viral video of like how germs spread in buffets or if you just think about, you know, every tongs that you hold has been touched by potentially hundreds of people in that service. Um, 
yeah, I mean, that it, 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 it makes so much sense, but it doesn't make it any less sad. Reach, what do you, what do you remember about, home, about oh, soup plantation? What do you remember about soup plantation? Give me your earliest memories of the place. So I loved soup plantation as a kid because, you know, my grandma, she, she mostly took care of me and my, my brother and my cousins. And she, so she had about four grandkids. And how does she reward four kids with different varying tastes all at once? Take them to the buffet. So she, if we did good in school, you know, sometimes she'd give us a dollar or two, but if all of us did well, going to soup plantation man we feast it <laughs> you know and we eat it right yeah we eat right and at the time i was like what why is it called soup plantation there's so much other things like the soup is the least of my worries i'm worrying i'm like heading making a beeline toward the focaccia bread and uh also like the cornbread and the muffins and i'm and clearly this is a little kid eating he's heading straight to the carbs not yeah. even thinking about the, the veggies but more so just the nostalgic factor of being rewarded to this spread of food as a kid like there's hundreds of items and i'm like whoa people eat like this i'm standing in line with my tray like just anticipating when it's my turn to just put anything on the plate because you know it's a literal smorgasbord basically and i'm like my head is spinning reach that each and everything that reminds me when you when you talked about how you went straight to the carbs because my my family would go all the time and my brother didn't eat vegetables so like so for that 15 minutes especially like i'm thinking like peak soup plantation i'm 12 years old something like that we arrive at 6 30 we're, we're parking like 30 cars deep in the parking lot. There's a line to the door before you can even get your tray. My brother would sit in that line for 20 plus minutes with an empty plate on his tray because the first, the 50 foot salad bar, he didn't care about anything on it. And like thinking back, like that's so, that's so crazy that... The first 20 minutes of his experience was just saying no to the first 50 things that came to him. I a lot of people thought that opening part, the salad bar itself, was just the gauntlet that you had to go through to get to the real goods, to the baked goods, the clam chowders, the chilies, the wild blueberry muffins. Like As a kid, like obviously salad wasn't high on my list of things I wanted to eat. I wanted the pizza. I wanted the garlic bread. I wanted the mac and cheese, which a lot of which is trash. Like, can, <laughs> can we talk about that real quick? Soup plantation is, is a jack of all trades, a master of none. Like there is nothing that is that good. And I think that's what happened when Jeff was mentioning, like what Jeff mentioned about people not being able to order to go or delivery. I think it's because they, they get crippled by like, what is it that I actually like at soup plantation? It's not any one individual item, at least it's not for me, right? It's, it's when they all come together as just a mess on my plate. It's the colors, right? Like these old greens and blues and purples that remind you of like an old shopping mall that they decided not to ever change, right? Like there's some restaurants that look cleaner than others, but frankly, Soup Plantation 
is this box of nostalgia that they decided, you know what, like, while other restaurants might go modern and sleek and Carl's Jr.'s might start looking like Apple stores, we're soup plantation. We're going to be the same shit you remembered back in 1978. But that doesn't work when you have to decide to order something to go because there's not one item on that menu that I like enough to put in a Grubhub order for. Like, I just don't like it enough. But if I see that wonton salad, if I see their clam chowder on the line, best believe I'm going to put it and mash them together. But I'm not going to order it delivery. I'm not going to drive the soup plantation to not eat there. So for me, there's a lot of it that they just couldn't pivot. I saw that in the comment section. Everyone's like, oh, soup plantation. Like, couldn't you just have adjusted? And then, no, I don't, I don't think they could. They're paying rent for a place that's supposed to house like 500 people that can sit in their dining room. They're, even if they could send stuff out the door delivery, like, what are they going to charge you a hundred dollars for a salad? Like that's not going to work. Imagine how the, the menu is going to look like in Postmates. That shit would look like a Scantron test, man. <laughs> I'd be over it. I'd be over it. I'm like, I'm no, I'm not dealing with it. And that sucks that that model can't pivot. Cause it's not built to pivot to, to, I guess the new technology these days. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the, my family, the, the main reason I think my family went to Sioux Plantation was this kind of combined reasoning of I can feed a family of four for $35 with a coupon. And then on top of that, because it's called Sioux Plantation and heavy with salads, we can feel a little bit better about ourselves psychologically than if we went to a hometown buffet, right? So even if we didn't even touch upon the salads as kids, I think it was the parent mentality of there's so much green available, there's fresh things available. And, and that combination, man, is like, look, for 35 bucks or whatever it was growing up, it was definitely under $10 from when we grew up and i think now at this current time without without a coupon which they still heavily do um yeah. or did uh um, who goes without a coupon right i didn't right no, no well no one that i knew growing up because you know th that became the catalyst it was almost like we even if we wanted soup plantation we would wait for that mailer to arrive and then go whenever it came and so but soup plantation was so much about the total experience right like reach you you touched about this earlier like with four different palettes you could still find something that left you satisfied for a cheap price and at the end of the day like am i still hanging out with my family at a table customizing my own meal like yeah that experience is great but is any singular food item the best of anything no Yo, I once went with someone who didn't use a coupon and I was a young child. Like they took me, I think it might've been an aunt or uncle. And I was like, well, we're going to, where are we going? They're like, oh, we're going to soup plantation. I was like, well, I didn't see you like grab the coupon book. And they're like, okay. And I was like, damn, what do you do for a living? They pay full price at soup plantation. They went full $13 and got the drink. Like they didn't even use the water cup for the soda. Like my family did. It was, they really flexed on me that day. But Jeff, you brought up an interesting point that I think we should dive into. The soup plantation versus hometown buffet. Because there was a point in my life where my family, we would go to either soup plantation or hometown buffet. 
But I don't remember when my family made a very distinct decision to stop going to hometown buffet. I don't remember if it was particular to maybe what Jeff was alluding to that my family just inherently thought they were eating healthier, going to something called a soup plantation, knowing that you have to go through this very methodical salad bar before you get to the bullshit, right? Um, maybe that was like an overall cleanliness factor. I don't know. But Reach, do you, did you ever go to hometown buffet? Yeah. So, um, again, like my grandma used to treat us to these buffets. As a kid, we went to soup plantation. And now as teens with more elevated palates, mm. she, knew what, she knew what was up. She's like, all right, we're going to hometown buffet. Y'all can get some <laughs> fake ribs. Y'all can get some mac and cheese. Y'all can get like all the good stuff and, and the, the roasted chicken and whatnot. And and, you know, as a high schooler, like, that will eat anything and everything. I was like, bet. Let, let's run that. <laughs> Yo, the ribs at Hometown Buffet. Uh, Are not ribs. <laughs> as, a, as a child, bro, those things look like brontosaurus legs. As an adult, it is just a giant bone with a film around it that's just brown and slop. There's no meat on it. And, and, like, now you're looking back at it like, yeah, how could you put out? racks of ribs but that was that's where we went to jeff did you go to hometown buffet at all i definitely went to hometown buffet but what i remember the most is distinctly my parents judgment the first time we went to hometown buffet as a family because again if my family had to pick we were team soup plantation and i think that's mostly because of the psychological reasoning and then the gnarliest food coma that happens after hometown buffet. And again, like you could get a serious food coma at soup plantation. You're loading up on chili, cornbread, soft serve, pizza, pasta, whatever. But it almost like hometown buffet, like I don't think they have colors of their food. It's kind of like all brown because it's either like fried or sauced or gravied or whatever. And there's just like that hometown buffet feeling. It's, it's kind of like when you eat too much K barbecue, you know, like (laughs) did you have a good time? Yes. Did you make a mistake? Absolutely. Let's talk about the colors, the colors of a soup plantation versus the colors of a hometown buffet. If you ever notice, a soup plantation is generally in a building that is freestanding, meaning it's not like sandwiched in a strip mall with like a restaurant on this side, restaurant on this side, which allows it by being a freestanding building, there's usually a lot of great light in there. So you don't feel dungeony. And I just realized that now that is a key difference between the feeling of going, between going to a soup plantation and going to the dungeon that is hometown buffet. Because you feel better, you feel airy and light and like you're just, you're down to do some yoga when it's, when there's like all this light coming in from the windows, but you go to hometown buffet and they got you going through like the carpeted lines, you know, it's more like an adult Chuck E. Cheese style buffet experience. And I can see why, like, even in your late twenties or maybe in college, I mean, we're getting a lot of feedback from people that like, Soup plantation got them through their college years, right? Like it was something where we could go grub out, you eat till you, I, the food coma thing I got at soup plantation. I don't know what it was, but may, I definitely felt like I needed to pass out after. But the light color branding push and pull from soup plantation and hometown buffet is very stark, actually. I think that's why soup plantation 
was still around versus what hometown buffet is serving up. Well, I mean, the only color that I can remember from from hometown is is the orange of the mac and cheese and the orange <laughs> of the the heat lamps. That's it. Everything else was this homogenous, like Jeff said, brown. I I Did wanted you- to talk strategy with you guys for a second because. Again, there's so much psychology in this supplantation um, that I went as a kid. Like the first thing is hometown buffet. And this goes back to your comment, Eli, like hometown buffet was structured in a way where uh, the food areas uh, weren't all connected. They were kind of islands of food areas, which kind of invites you as a customer to come back, right? Like come back to the, the various islands of food. But soup plantation, I remember as a kid, if I was like still hungry and I wanted something from the salad bar and there's a line of people in the salad bar, you would kind of have to like get brave and be like, am I going to go to the front of the line, grab another plate, cut in front of people, like, excuse me, let me get some more of this like random tuna tarragon noodle stuff that I nowhere ever has ever served a dish like that. And like I would never do it. And so as a kid, I always go back to the hot bar or the soup because I was just kind of too intimidated to like try to maneuver through the adults. And, you know, I, I don't know if you guys experienced that, but that's a visceral feeling for me. Yo, I didn't know that was allowed until my uncle from Lebanon came with us on a trip. So he doesn't have any construct, right? Like a fob from Lebanon coming through, take him to soup plantation. Oh, very good. Buffet, very nice, right? So we go through the thing. We go through the salad. We get our shit. We sit down. And then we start eating. We're having a good time. He gets up. And he's just like, yo, okay. Round two. I was like, what do you mean round two? And he goes, I thought he was eating the pizza. He goes, no shame, right back to the fucking salad bar that he wanted. He loved the Caesar salad. He loved the Chinese chicken wonton. And he just, boom. And it blew my mind. I was like, does he have to pay again? Because it's very methodical how they set it up. You're right. Because you have to go past the register again. So it almost feels like you're cheating. You're inherently stealing again, which you're not. You're allowed to do it. It's a buffet. You pay to enter. That's just how they set it up. But I wonder if we ever got a chance to talk to the original designer behind Soup Plantation, if we would find out that it's actually by design that they keep the vegetables behind this essential paywall. This, the register is what you don't – they don't intend for you to go back there. You can, but the intention is not there. They want you to hit the baked goods and kind of stay in that, in that arena. I felt that same shit growing up, Jeff, like, it felt weird going back. It felt like I was breaking some sort of rule. So I very seldomly, even as an adult, when I knew that I could if I wanted to, I very seldomly went back to the salad bar. My strategy was I'm getting two, sometimes three awkward plates on my tray, and I'm stacking high. I usually have one plate that I relegate to the build your own salads. That's the one where I start with my own iceberg and my spinach. I don't let that one touch all the pre-made salads that the, the Caesar salad, the Chinese chicken wonton and whatever they might have like on rotation. That was kind of my build. And then I had a plate of accoutrement, which was my third, which is like maybe just like my hard boiled eggs that I wanted 
or stuff that I might put on my chili later that is not next to the chili bar and I don't want to go through the paywall yet again. So, Reese, did you feel any of that? Or were you just like, nah, man, this is, is what it is, bro. I'm in. I didn't feel any of that. And actually, I was curious. I was like, these memories, are they attributed to, like, the last time you guys went as adults? Like, when was the last time you both went to a soup plantation? Yo, I've been within last six months, for sure. For uh-huh. sure, for sure. Me too. And, so, what's, what's funny is my brother is a very healthy eater. So like, he's not trying to go to Carl's. He's not trying to do anything. Like he very rarely eats out, but the one place that he craves that he's like, Hey, yo, it's Sunday morning. Let's, let's go. Let's go have a good time. It's soup plantation. And I never understood why, like I, it, it, that psychological effect, it worked on my brother. It worked on this health freak, fitness freak, but like reality, like he could make a salad at home. He could go somewhere and get a higher level fresh vegetable dish somewhere else but supplementation worked on it guys i know uh so because i was too intimidated to go back into the salad line which didn't necessarily have a ton of stuff i wanted anyway uh what i would do would you guys ever like wait like a foot behind the pizza and bread area like waiting for like the fresh fresh stuff to come out and then go straight for the middle of it because like the middle had like the bet like most sauce most cheese was cooked the right way because a lot of those edges of the focaccia and the pizza like they get kind of burnt on the outside preach, <laughs> so preach. i remember like as a kid <laughs> like waiting right and then almost feeling guilty because I would take such of a lion's share of pizza or focaccia bread. Like I'm literally taking the best stuff and the person behind me definitely knows what I'm doing and my strategy, but it was like, yo, this, I mean, it's free for all in there, man. So you gotta, you gotta protect your neck. It's a buffet. You gotta get in where they fit in. Like (laughs) you gotta have your mind right when you get in there. Like it's like you said, it's a free for all. You can get swooped on and it's fine and you got to deal with it and you got to just, you got to just prepare yourself to a plan B, a plan C. Oh, they don't got fresh pizza, but they got fresh cornbread. Okay, let's go to the, hit the cornbread. They don't got fresh cornbread. Oh, that chili looking nice. It looking real nice. Let's hit the chili. <laughs> no, you just got to gotta rotate. There's a strategy to it. So, and I think, Eli, with your brother, Andrew, is if you embrace the mediocrity, right? If you just like fully embrace it, of what it is, so you're not bothered by it. Soup plantation is a wondrous place, right? Like as soon as you get past the, oh, this batch of soup is made for 400 people, how good can it be? Is, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, the nostalgia factor for me, and again, that bakes into probably the long-term taste buds for, for me is, yo, that was my first chili. And that was my first self-service soft serve machine. Yes. Oh. Self-service oh. soft serve? Yo, that's, that was game changing. Like I can just like, and they used to give you the. The original these, yogurt land, son. Yeah, dude, like the poultry. <laughs> but they used to put like these little small bowls right next to it. But everyone knew you go get the soup bowl, bro. Like you yeah, go get bro. the soup bowl. And you pile If you know, you know. I to you know to your point, Jeff. The the self serve 
soft serve, that was like the kid version of they don't want to see me with money. You know, <laughs> they don't want to see me while out. If I had power, I'm grabbing the soup bowl, son. I'm grabbing the gummy bears. I'm grabbing the white chocolate chips. They don't want to see me with money in Sioux Plantation. Yo, There's something my- so American about a buffet. It's something so American about I control this. This is my destiny. I earned this. I paid this $9 after coupon, and I'm going to pour <laughs> as much Froyo out of this machine. I'm going to hit it with some granola because I yes. saw these white yoga girls doing this amazing, amazing granola, and I'm going to do it. And so it's, it's, it's so fascinating to see, like, the empowerment you get at a buffet. And I think, Breach, I think you're tapping into what made it so special for us as kids is that we get to go out into a restaurant as a child and have some sort of control where we're not just sitting down and our parents order for us. You never, like, as a child, at least I did it, like, when I'm nine, 10 years old, like I'm not talking to the waiter or waitress. Like I'm talking to my parents and my parents are telling the waiter or waitress what it is that I want. But at soup plantation, I'm the boss. Like I control my own destiny. Like, yeah, I get to pit. You give me those little white ketchup, uh, dipping trays from a Froyo. No, I'm going to put it in the tray i'm gonna do whatever i want i'm gonna put granola i'm gonna put chocolate i'm gonna go wild i'm gonna try some corn on it whatever i want because i'm in control and i think we're in a place in america where we might lose that control like there might be a generation of kids who don't get our top five at supplementation like i'm i'm very sad for for what that world is gonna look like but we've been talking a lot about different items i know everyone kind of deep down has a list at Sioux Plantation. Like you have your, your top five. Jeff, I know you and I batted around a little bit about what a top five can be. I'm yeah, curious me, what your top five is now that you may never taste it again. Yeah, man, I'm going to miss some stuff. And I'm also not going to miss a lot of stuff too. So I got a, I got a top five, bottom five going on right now so let's let's start with the good because i think in general i'm i'm more sad than i am anything else about sioux plantation closing um i mentioned this already number five for me is the chili not because the chili was that good it's kind of watery it's whatever but because you could put bacon and onions and cheese and scallions like you could load it up and, you know, that combination, you know, either baked potato, chili, number five, because of that customized option. Number four for me was the cornbread. The cornbread was, was serious. I, I can kind of almost replace it with the blueberry muffin for me. I found both of those things when they were fresh were like super good. Yep. The number three for me is, uh, is actually the Chinese chicken salad. And the, the tossed salads, you could really strike out if you didn't get it at the right time. Because if, you, if you're at the bottom <laughs> of that bowl, it's real rough. Like you don't, you, yeah. It's just soggy mess. But if you happen to get it, like remember those giant bowls that the people used to mix like this, the salads in? If you got it fresh... Is it, a, is it a white people 
Chinese chicken salad, absolutely. But it had all the textured elements. It had the crispies. It had the green onion. That was my number three. Number two was the chicken noodle soup. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, but like the, the big chunks of chicken, they, I've never seen those noodles anywhere else. The, nope. the flat noodles, I, I've literally big. never, big, I've never seen them. Also would customize that. But number one was the self-serve soft machine because that, that, was, that was just as a kid, that was just such a mind-blowing concept to me. Uh, before I discovered I'm lactose intolerant, but uh, that's that's my top five. I'm curious about what 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 favorites of yours weren't on my list. That's a solid okay, list, bro. I gotta. I, that's a really really solid list, and and your background of why they made your list is stuff where I can't necessarily disagree, right? Like chili wouldn't have made my list, but for you, chili was that was the first place you ever had chili. For me, the first place I ever had clam chowder was at Soup Plantation. Is it the best clam chowder in the world? No, I've been fortunate to taste some other clam chowder, and, and there's much better stuff out there. Uh, but, but my memories of going there and getting clam chowder and learning what uh, the oyster crackers are, that like, you know, and, and incorporating Tabasco sauce. That might have been the first place I've ever seen Tabasco sauce, you know, and putting that on there. And there's a lot of things. Suplantation was almost like a showroom for, for an ethnic kid coming, right? It's like, yeah. here are all these things that, uh, oh, we were like, oh, mom, I love this little bottle of red sauce. Can we get it? It was like, yeah, it's like a dollar at the store. We can get it when we go home. Like, yes, amazing. Like, it's more like Suplantation at my house. Clam chowder. Now Campbell's makes that. I can get it in a can. Cool. Like, I can ingest it. So for me, I would probably swap clam chowder for the chili but again like there's no wrong answer on that point because that's what's beautiful about soup plantation is it was a lot of firsts for us in our in our age range for me i might swap the cornbread out for like the blueberry muffin the blueberry muffin to me was what i waited for at the end like because i saw my mom take it split it in half hit it with the butter and i was mm -hmm. like oh man like again there are great blueberry muffins out there but like I didn't have blueberry muffins growing up outside of soup plantation. Plus like soup plantation had whipped butter. That was my introduction to like, okay, there's butter. I know what butter is, but they had whipped butter. Yeah. That whipped butter made every baked good so much better. You would just like, let me grab three of these little containers of whipped butter. And you were set, man. You were totally set. I put no. that, that whipped butter on everything. I put it on the herb rice. <laughs> and just mix it all up. Like, this is great. No, shout out to the whipped butter. Yeah, I want to hear the trash items, Jeff, because I have, again, like, again, they're jack of all trades, but master of none. So I, I'm probably going to agree with on some of these trash items, but I, I'm curious what is exceptionally trash for you at Soup Plantation. Yo, the stale Oreos next to the soft serve was was so tough for me and it would happen so often that it was just so disappointing because it could have been so great right like you you could put a mountain of oreos on your soft serve and that's like pretty much the only topping yeah they had some chocolate sauce and stuff had some nuts but from a candy perspective that was like the only thing you could top it with 
I want to say eight times out of 10, that Oreo stuff just, you could tell had just been sitting out. I will, I will not miss that at all. I will not miss the self-serve container of cottage cheese next to the Jello. Like I, I, that, no. I'm not a huge cottage cheese fan, but I'm definitely not a huge like cottage cheese been sitting out fan at all. Yeah. Um, yo, but the number one thing that I won't miss is that trash pasta bar. As <laughs> as a as a tw- I don't know nine year old even nine year old Jeff knew how Garbage. trash the pasta bar was. And, Garbage. But but I think that's pasta bars and buffets in general. Like the problem with pasta is you can't just leave it out unsauced and then people just grab it. It all clumps together. And then I mean they they but even their sauces, their marinara sauce, whack. Their Alfredo sauce, congealed, whack. And so that pasta bar, I never touched it. I never and okay, that's a lie. I did touch it. Every couple of years, I'd be like, how bad could this be? Like forgetting, <laughs> forgetting how bad the pasta bar is. And then every time it would just reconfirm. Nope, it's still that bad. You should never touch it. So I wholeheartedly agree that the pasta is absolute garbage. What I was so confused about, though, is one, why it tasted so bad. Because like, how do you mess up mac and cheese? Like, <laughs> h- How? How do you mess up like a fettuccine Alfredo? Like the worst thing you could do is over salt it. And over salting it is like at least there's some pungency to it. But so, like I've made mac and cheese and Alfredo at my house and I've eaten it cold and it tasted better. Like I'm get, I get lazy at home. I just eat it cold and it still has flavor and taste and I'm an awful cook. But I think what is so baffling to me is that I still had pasta every time I went to soup plantation. <laughs> Every single time. I get your money's worth, player. <laughs> I got to. I got to. Well, I'm not going to miss this whole section that I'm like, oh, I bet you they paid a lot of money for this. Area. Growing up now, I know a lot of their expenses probably came in the fresh produce side of the salad bar, and that's why they had the paywall. I think everything else, the baked goods and shit, they do a scale, and they're, they're doing fine. But the pasta, I would start getting creative. I was like, well, the chili's kind of whack. The mac and cheese is kind of whack. But where else am I going to be getting a – mac and cheese top chili so let's go right boom you do that uh so for me that's that's one of those things that is special and not special about soup plantation is none of these items can stand on their own none of them the chili's not good enough on its own to not have some fire sour cream on top and some chives like it's just not gonna work but there's plenty of other places that if i was feeling chili i'm gonna get a to-go order from this chili joint and get just the best chili I can. But that's where soup plantation, unfortunately, like, doesn't fit into the narrative of a place where you would order one item at a time. So it's definitely hard as shit for them to pivot that one item at a time. Um, I mean, and the if, pasta if, bar, man. And if Boston, look, if Boston Market and KFC and El Pollo Loco can figure out mass market mac and cheese, like, I know what I'm eating. You know, it's not cheese. It's barely pasta. But at least it tastes good. I remember being so perplexed as a kid. Like, why doesn't this taste better? Like, as a kid, 
And that's still, that still is like my number one question for soup plantation all time. It's like, how, how could it be that, that bad that often? I mean, that's a pretty poignant question, but I also think like, does it have to be gourmet? Like soup plantation served its purpose as providing a service to that local community. And people like my grandma were able to feed four grandchildren on her budget and still satisfy them. And even though it's, I'm talking through like a childhood lens, like with me being an, as a, an adult, when you, also when you mentioned like it got college kids through college, like it's sad when you hear about places like soup plantation as bastions in the community of a decent meal for a decent price, like go down. And to me, it is important first and foremost, for any eating establishment is to just provide a service to the community. Yeah. I mean, and all joking aside, we don't deserve soup plantation. We, we don't deserve it for, for the longest time we had this place that is serving you sa- unlimited salad, unlimited pasta, unlimited pizza and froyo for under 20 bucks. 12 bucks, 13 bucks, we don't deserve it. And then when we go through the line, we like feel like these weird gods when we leave a three or four or five dollar tip on our $12 meal, well over 20% because we didn't have to cook it ourselves. Like someone still was producing all of the produce and making it presentable. Someone was still bussing after us dish after dish and the really good ones, like they wouldn't let your, your water cup stay too chill without it. Right. So for me, we don't deserve it because we think that that's what food costs. And as it was alive now, now you're seeing people like trying to start GoFundMe's for soup plantation. You're not going to fix it. We already messed that shit up by like not tipping our waiters (laughs) when we were doing that, at least not tipping them at what we thought by using the coupons, by driving down the prices. And now poor soup plantation is saddled with these humongous dining rooms. And we don't, we just don't deserve it. And I don't know at this point if we deserve buffets. I I, I don't think so. Like we definitely didn't deserve soup plantation. We lost it. We all, we collectively as a group, no, no blame altogether. Like I'm just as blame. I felt like a boss when I left the $5 tip or a $10 tip. I felt like an absolute boss. That's not changing the landscape for the, the person who was serving us. It's not changing the landscape when I would not go because I didn't have a coupon. Like we built that year over year, like that this is how much all you can eat can cost. I mean, we fucked that up. But do we deserve other buffets? Like what happens in Vegas, man? That's a big part of going to Vegas is like, what's the buff- what buffet are we going to hit next? I'm already considering hometown buffet. You know, I, I don't wish I want every business succeed, but I don't know how they get through this. But Vegas buffets with the inherent walk around audience, this elevated, does it matter how elevated the chef is in a, in a Vegas buffet when like the same social distancing germophobia that we're going to have to get through mentally in this next couple phases of our lifetime and the next year? Are, are we going to have buffets? Let's talk about Vegas for a second. Well, Jeff, yeah. where, do you, where do you think buffets go? Yeah, I think, well, a couple of things. To me, Soup Plantation and, and Hometown Buffet were going to be casualties 
of the 21st century restaurant culture, regardless of COVID. That's, that's how I personally feel. Like even if Soup Plantation was seeing some sort of upward trend over the past three years, I just didn't see it as a long-term sustainable model. When you think about the things that people currently value in restaurants, right? Like uh, if we're talking about the picturesque quality, if we're talking about uh, the quality in general of we want to have the best when we're talking about the lack of convenience because it is only available in person. Um, I just think that there was going to be a lot of struggles for both hometown and soup plantation. COVID, I think, just accelerated that to, to an nth degree. Um, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm going to be devastated if this means the Vegas buffet is going to be affected in a major way. Um, because there's just so much greatness on all sides of the Vegas buffet spectrum, whether it's uh, the almost commoditized $8 buffet that is probably just as trash as soup plantation, but kind of gets the job done for what you need it to do while in Vegas on a budget to Gosh, to the to the buffet at the Caesars, right? Which is just like Bacchanal, the, which is like the one of the most like opulent dining experiences, regardless of being a buffet or not. And are you paying for it? Absolutely, you're you're paying you're paying had an experience other than than that place where I'm putting king crab legs and filet mignon and chimichurri steak and whatever a sushi of a certain grade on my plate um and but guys i'm curious about how you feel because would i enter a buffet in the next six months you know i don't i don't know i don't know if i can answer that question right now what i can say is i'm definitely thinking about traveling this year and if I'm open to traveling, I feel like I would probably be open to some sort of communal experience in the right situation before a vaccine. Um, and maybe that's aggressive. I don't know. But I don't know how I feel about everything outside of I don't want venues to close. I don't want restaurants to close. I want Vegas to exist. Um, and I want to go somewhere because we've been cooped up in our house for so long. Um, and I know I'm in uh, you know, a very privileged position to be able to say that. Um, but yeah, how do you guys feel about Las Vegas buffets? And, and like, would you visit one at the end of this year, earlier or later? For me, um, going to Vegas was like, the biggest draw was those buffets. You know, I would do road trips. And then the reward at the end of that road trip was heading back down to Vegas and hitting a Bacchanal and just feasting. Dropped 65, not even blinking an eye on, on a meal. Because um, as Soup Plantation was an introductory experience for us in terms of different flavors and tastes and, and formats of food, this was just next level. Like, where else can you get um, just ethnic food all at once done exceptionally well? And that is like, you know, for my fat ass, that's a playground for me, you know. <laughs> and the fact that Vegas buffets are in this precarious position, like, makes me nervous. Will I go to one later this year? 
I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of contingencies that have to happen. Where how are they handling people touching silverware? How are they handling like just the air circulation based on that crazy video that we uh, I saw earlier about how COVID can spread in a restaurant? There's a lot of factors in there. But just my personal affinity for Vegas buffet, it, it runs deep. Uh, for taste the details, I did an episode at the the Wind Buffet, and to be able to get a lens into how a Vegas buffet, like how massive a machine that is to work so well and, and to be so coordinated and to have such high quality pushed out on mass. Like it blew my mind and it gave me so much more respect for a Vegas buffet because they're really trying to provide quality and quantity at the same time. Now, besides even that, like there's hundreds of people hundreds of jobs that go into making a Vegas buffet buffet run, whether it be through suppliers, whether it be to people back of the house, front of the house, chefs, cooks, everything. Like what also makes me sad about it is not just the fact that we're losing like this big feast where we could just fill up on like there's actual real hundreds of people that would lose like jobs because you know, Vegas buffets are in danger. So there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, thoughts that I, I want to go through. Like, yes, I want Vegas buffets to, to flourish still, but I'm me myself. I don't even know if I will attend one if things, you know, come to some sort of uh, normal semblance. I mean, to put it into perspective on mine, I don't know if I'm going to go to a regular dine-in restaurant until there's a vaccine. And, and here's, I don't mean to be a fear monger, but my personal idea of eating out involves going to treat myself and involves wanting to celebrate with friends and be around them. So if the current manifestation of that means I have to wear a mask while I dine in an establishment, I'm going to leave the establishment. I want to, I'm going to support it and I support wearing whatever protective equipment we need, I want to be very clear there. But if my experience of what I'm paying for an experience is hindered because of it, like if I have to sit across from Jeff and reach to enjoy a meal and every time I do, I have to like think about my mask, dude, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. So that only gets amplified in a buffet. So in a buffet, you can have the best chefs and care keepers in the world but you subject yourself to just the humans that are in the place, whether they're malicious or not. People just not knowing that they're sick and touching again handles. Like, are you, they going to fundamentally change the buffet where every station actually has someone that serves it onto your plate? Then what is the point of the buffet? And so for me, there's a lot of things that go for me to even get into a regular dine-in restaurant versus a buffet the buffet is like it's not even on my radar right now and it saddens me because it is a huge part especially in vegas i don't really think about buffets outside of soup plantation when i'm in my bubble here in orange county southern california but absolutely like it is a rite of passage when you go to vegas with your friends on all levels right when we when i had no money you're hitting you know what buffet you're hitting and when you have a lot of money you go you know what buffet you're hitting like so the Bacchanal is definitely up there, Reach. Like when you're ready to splurge after a night of blowing your money and you're like, what's another 65 bucks? Like, let's hit Bacchanal. That's great. I see myself traveling before I go to a buffet. 
I see my because there's a lot more control you can have because when you're when you're in an establishment and you're eating, it's a completely different story than just protecting yourself, getting on a plane, knowing what you're touching and what you're eating. Um, but I'm going to be very cognizant of what it is going in my mouth, my face being touched. But going into a buffet, I wish I had a more optimistic outlook about me enjoying that environment sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I think the thing we have to remember too, uh, you know, soup plantation won't be the only major casualty. Uh, and we're looking at one of the largest restaurant retoolings in the history of, of restaurants. Um, so, you know, MGM re recently, you know, I think put forward a seven point plan of how they're going to like reopen their hotels. Um, that's not who knows if the buffet will even exist um, or if it's going to reopen um, because again, they're just trying to their core business model in Vegas, getting those casinos open, getting those rooms open, getting the strip open uh, is going to be way, way more prior prioritized than opening the buffets back up. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that, post vaccine that there's going to be hopefully a rush back to these types of establishments uh from what i understand loosely we're at least a year away um from a widespread vaccine and and again don't hold me to that timing but it's it's not tomorrow it's not next week it's not next month um and knowing how elaborate these employment infrastructures are food sourcing um the amount of cash flowing they're doing from you know revenues in revenues out uh yeah i think it's going to be a while before we can visit a buffet um but but i do hope and i do think that post vaccine whoever can offer that experience again you know will now have a competitive advantage to have that experience again um and i'll i'll, I'll be there I'll probably make a trip to Vegas mostly just to support Vegas, to be honest, because I want it to continue to exist. What uh, a weird world that we live in where I've never heard anyone have to say that line, but I don't disagree with you. We have we to all support in, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because if, if there is one city that could potentially float buffets, that could figure something out, I think it's Vegas. Yeah. Because a, a buffet is in theory a loss leader right like it's not especially in vegas right like what's the first thing they can comp you when you're gambling it's a buffet ticket like yeah you can go to the buffet whatever right they can comp you a room that's next but it's because you've spent so much in the casino so it's one of those things where like anything a buffet outside of a tourist district a buffet outside of something where there is a big other cash flow revenue opportunity they're going to be in really, really, really dire straits. But even in Vegas, if they could figure something out, they might have the best potential opportunity to keep buffets afloat in some capacity. Again, I don't think they'll look the same, but we run into the same issues where because of COVID, we have accelerated this like transparency around cleanliness that we can't unsee and i don't think we're going to unsee it in the immediate future um it has always existed right i remember last time i went to a vegas buffet was maybe january early february 
And COVID was not a discussion at all. But I remember being there with my parents and going to the buffet that they loved. And they're just like, huh, I didn't like how that kid put something back on the thing. I didn't like how that woman took that lobster tail, but like she touched it, but she didn't like really like that's going to continue happening. And that was happening prior. So now it's just going to be amplified. You ever saw someone quickly wipe down a table just like with a washcloth? You wonder, is that, is there disinfectant on that? Is that just a water cloth? That's gone. That time is over, right? Like that this is for better or worse. There's some, there's some silver lining stuff here is like, if there are now expectations and guidelines for restaurants that like, you can't just wash something down. Like busters don't have like a general guideline of like, like a government mandated guideline of how to clean a tape. But this like multi-page document that just launched through the California government of how dine-in restaurant experience is supposed to happen. Like it's pretty in depth. So this is different and we're going to have to to live with this, but the other side of the coin, I think this is more of a discussion for when we have, when we talk about dine-in regulations on another podcast is that restaurants, this is making it harder for restaurants. It's going to make it more expensive for restaurants. And I think we have to start looking at ways that we can converse and and get some sort of assistance to restaurants because these aren't cheap implementations of stuff, right? We're asking buffets essentially right now to limit the amount of people that come in. They weren't rolling in the dough before. (laughs) So now we're asking them to do all of these things, giving busters more guidelines, like, they're not making the wages they should make anyway. So like now you're going to ask them to be as like PPE friendly as nurses and doctors. Like this is, it, this is a tough straight. So there has to be a middle ground of like, what kind of financing can we help? How do you subsidize restaurants in a manner that like can allow us to continue having these experiences? And that's going to be a big discussion point in the next year. And it has to happen faster because we're going to lose out on not just buffet experiences. We're going to lose out on restaurant experiences because of what we're talking about right now. It's going to cost a restaurant owner two, three, four X more to implement these things. And they're going to be making two, three, four X less just inherently because we're asking them to have their business, quarter their business and increase their cost of doing it. We're, the restaurant industry needs a shakeup and it needs help. Yeah, ultimately, we're going to see what the true value of restaurants to people actually are, uh, because without a doubt, prices will need to go up. Um, Labor will likely need to go up. Um, And we've had conversations like this before. Um, But when you are uh, when you are now considered a frontline worker, um, putting yourselves in harm's way, um, by interacting with dozens, if not hundreds of people in a given shift. Yeah, does that deserve to get potentially paid more than minimum wage? Um, are the repercussions, healthcare repercussions, if you're making minimum wage but don't have health insurance? Um, and what I think is going to happen is the only place for that to sit is with the pricing of the menu. Um, and with the dollar that we spend as consumers. Um, I would not be surprised if so many of the meals that we take for granted um, because we were able to go, wow, we were able to go to an independently owned gastropub 
have a burger and a beer for $18 and get out of there and have a great time, watch the game, do whatever, you know, realistically, that should probably cost you 30 bucks from the increase in labor to the experience that you're having. And a, a lot of people are not going to be down with that. Like, oh, you're going to charge me, uh, you're going to charge me $22 for a burger and you're going to charge me $10 for a beer. But again, when you consider the cost of the raw products of the labor, the produce, the meat, the service, the, the, the place, the rent, um, these are all things that the only way to change that is for people to pay more. Well, all right, guys, that was our episode. Appreciate you guys so much for listening to the catch up. Please leave a review on the podcast store. Tell us your final parting words for soup plantation, like we're about to do right now. So reach as we lower soup plantation into the theoretical dirt. Could you please uh, just give us some parting words for our dear friends at soup plantation? You know, uh, soup plantation, uh, thank you for keeping a bunch of kids, some badass kids, fed and, and behaved for a couple of hours and making sure that my grandma felt good enough that she was rewarding us. Thank you for that one cornbread. I, I, I still remember that cornbread, and I, I, I'm pretty sure it's still bomb. <laughs> Jeff? Uh, dear Sue Plantation, um, I've probably eaten at your establishments over a hundred times. Um, every single time was with someone I cared about or, or with my parents and my family. And I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that forever uh, because... Uh, at the end of the day, it was still an hour spent with people that I care about and you provided that to happen. Um, so thanks, Suplantation. Why am I low-key going to cry right now? <laughs> um, uh, Suplantation, thank you for making my family feel like kings and queens. All right, guys, we're going to cut this podcast because I'm fucking cry this shit out. <laughs> Until next week, y'all. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>